Welcome back to our listeners to the Dish with Dina podcast. Thank you so much for joining us again. This week's guest is Angela Hooley, a New York City-based registered dietitian whose focus is on family nutrition from pregnancy to pediatrics. Angela shares her personal struggles and how she now helps others repair their relationships with food, as well as encouraging experimentation and freedom when working with children's eating habits. So sit back, enjoy the conversation, and let's dish. Welcome, Angela Hooley, to the Dish with Gina podcast. Thank you so much for spending time with me this morning. How is everything in your neck of the woods? Hello. Yeah, it's going really well. At the time of this recording, we are at the beginning of the new year. So happy new year to you. And that brings me to, I just took a look in our emails from when we first met each other, because I always like to share with the listeners how I know, or sometimes I don't know who the interviewees are on my podcast. And you and I are celebrating a two-year anniversary. I don't know if you know that. You reached out to me back in February of 2021. Wow. I I know. I was trying to think back. It's funny how the years blend together. And I'm always like, when did I start the internship? Exactly. Yeah. Tell the listeners how we did first meet, how you came to kind of know me, because I think it was online somewhere. Yes, it was in one of those like arty to be sort of Facebook group things. I at the time I was in um, my dietetic internship. I was doing it through Sodexo. Um, And so part of that internship was kind of like whatever you wanted it to be, like an independent study And so I wanted to really focus on um, like entrepreneurship. So I just put a post um, in the Facebook group. I needed Mm -hmm. to find like a preceptor, somebody that would take me under their wing and let me learn some of those things. And I remember you were literally the only person kind enough to reach out and have like a call with me. And I remember just instantly being like, oh my gosh, is this for real? Because you were so kind and not to give like, the internship a bad rap but I feel like most of the time preceptors are sort of like here's what you're gonna do for me but it was almost like what can I do for you which was so refreshing and um yeah so that's how we connected and you became my sort of like concentration preceptor for that last rotation I had to complete yeah and if I remember correctly so now this is the beginning ish time of 2021 at the time. And then I don't think we started working with each other for maybe a couple of months after that. But that was the year that because of the pandemic, obviously, still in the throes of it, a lot of rotations and preceptors. So for anybody not aware of this out there, who's listening to this, a preceptor is basically just a supervisor who is helping uh, provide the intern with the experience on site. And a lot of these rotations were having to be done virtually, but obviously a lot of these experiences can't be done virtually. Like they need to be hands-on in the hospital or in a nursing home or whatever. And so because so many of these rotations and preceptors were canceling or asking their interns to maybe switch up the dates like can we push you to august instead of march because i can't take you right now because of what's going on at the height of the pandemic at that kind of second round i ended up angela you might remember this because thank goodness you have so much flexibility in your rotation but if you remember i had like a thousand interns (laughs) at that, that time and it was really overwhelming and i was trying so hard to like you said accommodate everyone because i do believe that as the super 
supervisor, yes, you're there to gain insight, but you're not there to be, and you know, this is for anybody out there listening who is going to be a preceptor, um, you're not allowed to treat them like employees. Like that's not what an intern's job is. An intern's role is to be supervised and be able to shadow you and gain experience and not to be thrown in as if they're, you know, your administrative assistants. Like that's not, that's not how it's supposed to be. So I was really juggling a lot and I was so grateful to have met you because you felt very self sufficient. And I felt really bad. I was like, I feel like I want to be more hands-on. You're like, it's cool. It's cool. I got this. Just like, you know, review some of these things, sign off on some of these things, meet with me every so often, but it's totally fine. I can do some independent work. And I was so grateful because I felt very overwhelmed and very spread thin because of that at that time. So I'm glad we both had a good experience, a good beneficial relationship. And I'm glad that that relationship keeps going because I'm so proud of where you are now. Yes, I'm so glad we've stayed in touch as well. And I did the preceptor course now too. And you know, you were really the preceptor, like I said, that made me want to give back to where I was like, no, this person is so giving of their time. And like I said, you actually taught me things. Not to say my Mm. other preceptors didn't, but I really felt heard and I learned so much that helped me jumpstart my own business now. So I always just appreciate that about you. And I appreciate those kind words because, again, I feel like, you know, we all go through some moments of having imposter syndrome and I don't feel like I'm doing enough. So I love hearing that feedback. It makes me feel like I want to continue giving back as well. And I really think that you have a lot to offer, Angela, which we'll talk about soon, that some of your interns to be are going to very much benefit from. So I can't wait to see who you end up working with and who ends up working with you. So let's go back a little further into your life. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up, how you grew up, what cultural upbringing you had. Talk about some of your earliest food memories or influences. Yeah. So I grew up in a suburb on Long Island in New York. Um, I'd say pretty normal. Like I had an older sister, mom and dad in the house. Um, pretty yeah traditional I guess you could call it Um, my sister and I were both on the underweight side growing up so I feel like early memories I really just remember more so with my older sister my mom being like really stressed out like oh she's too thin and trying to just feed her whatever and gain the weight so there was sort of an emphasis from a young age on the weight Um, so I do feel like I picked up some things about my weight like comparing or like oh am I am I thin too or am I bigger because they're not really mentioning my weight as much but growing up I mean we ate typical American foods of the 90s I was a kid of the 90s so it was like Dunkaroos and Chips Ahoy and like bugles and all you know just like a lot of snack food in the house and my sister and I even joke to this day that sometimes you know my our parents would be asleep and we'd go and sneak and have like ice cream for breakfast so it wasn't that nourishing believe it or not um and we just sort of did that through high school I remember even in high school every day I would go to Subway or something after school and get like a big sandwich and a bag of chips and I would just eat it and I always maintained my weight around 110 115 um so yeah that was kind of that was really me and food at that time yeah 
I'm feeling a little jealous because my parents never kept snacks in the house. And I would, <laughs> I would very much make friends with people down the street that I could go and raid their snack closets because I did not understand anything about like Starburst and Skittles and Oreo cookies and yeah. all of those fun things. And so when I did come home from school and I would go stay at a friend's house and hang out there, by the time I came home for dinner, I was already full because I had eaten it's everything. All the snacks. Yeah, all yeah. the snack foods, all the snack foods. <laughs> Too funny. You're making me think back of the, the things that I enjoyed back well, then. Well, it was funny things. though, because my, our mom, she grew up in Italy. So she, she never ate any of it though. Like she followed like a pretty traditional Mediterranean diet and would always be having like fruits and fish and stuff so it was just funny like you would buy this stuff for your kids and then you'd be eating all this like super healthy stuff so just interesting thinking back you you wish she wasn't able to take it that's too funny so where do you think was it when you started becoming maybe a little bit more independent as you got older where did some of those food habits start changing and then share with us too what brought you in the direction of where you are now was that something that you knew at an early age that you wanted to go into the health sciences field or how did that come about you know that's a really good question because looking back on it I really only had this revelation recently but looking back on it It wasn't until I went away to college. So I decided to go away. I wanted to, as most young teens want to do, they want to leave home and do their own thing. So I went to Northeastern in Boston. That was the closest like other major city on the Northeast coast. So I was like, okay, let me try Boston. So I went to school. I had the typical dorm room with like the four roommates, there were four of us, and we'd go to the dining hall. And it was, it was amazing, right? Like, as most college students experience the freedom of having food whenever you want. And um, I feel like I did put on a little bit of weight. So to to me, I thought I put on a little bit of weight during that time. However, I started getting a lot of positive attention from the opposite sex let's call it so I I I liked it I was like oh wow I've never gotten like attention from like boys before they seem to like the curviness or whatever so I I I was enjoying it and then my roommate um I really I mean I know she had an eating disorder I think it was bulimia and probably during like our spring semester she dropped a lot of weight like got really really thin where you could see like her rib cage and everything and then I sort of started assessing my my body and was like oh my gosh wait should I be looking like that too like she looks really good and I don't know like so then I sort of I think I got mono so I got really sick and then I dropped I went from 115 to 105 so I dropped a lot of weight and then at that point I became a little obsessed with it where I was like oh my gosh like now I'm getting all this attention too and I look a certain way and got really fixated on the whole body image thing too unfortunately as I feel like most females in college sometimes can end up falling into that trap of like the whole body image thing restrictive eating and whatnot so I Unfortunately, I think that's where the habit developed. But during that time, believe it or not, I was studying criminal justice. So I was not in any sort of nutrition field, was not really on the radar. 
it wasn't until around my senior year, I had different roommates. And I remember one of my roommates, she was um, a physical therapy major. And I remember always walking by that building, the health sciences and looking at it and feeling so intimidated, like, wow, that must be so amazing to be in one of these like health science fields. And she was always studying day and night. She was really good, really good, committed student. Um, and like something did spark at me, like, oh, I wish I could do like one of these professions too. But I, of course, I just moved on and graduated got a job in the criminal justice field but um it was never it was never like the passion like there was always something there um so that's kind of how it developed yeah wow that's quite a lot of tra like traveling through a lot of ups and downs and transitioning both in understanding first your body and then being kind of like influenced by somebody who was not making the greatest choices and feeling like oh that has an effect on me but almost in a negative slash positive way like right. I you know I want to look like her but what she's doing in the way that she's doing it is not healthy by any means and then turning your I, you know, somewhere in there, I'm wondering too, like, thank goodness, maybe you did go into the health sciences profession because you have the knowledge of what it's like to go through those so that if you are working now with clients at some point, you know, we'll talk about this too in our discussion, who've gone through that. Like I always say, you know, self-disclosure in counseling of any kind, that's kind of a tricky thing to venture into, but I do think there is some positive benefit to it when you are able to understand who you're talking with and make them feel more comfortable by saying, I, I understand what you're going through. I too had that lived experience. Even if you don't say it out loud, it does provide us with a little bit more empathy or compassion when we are talking to our clients about their food ways, their habits, their behaviors, and potentially whatever is going on behind the scenes there with their own issues with body image and what experiences that they had in growing up too. So I'm sad that you had that experience for you, but I'm glad that you were able to maybe fold it in to where it leads you now. Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, that's kind of the redemption of the story. Right. I, you know, I did have, I would say, an eating disorder well through my professional career coming up you know in my early 20s I was working in um, finance for a big bank in Boston in the global security department and I remember I would literally have like carnation with like skim milk for breakfast and then for lunch I'd have like a peanut butter sandwich where I just like scrape the peanut butter on the bread and then I'd have a bowl of cereal for dinner like that was it so I mean, it wasn't until I really hit rock bottom, I think I got down to like 100 pounds that I I had to seek my own help. And I started seeing a dietitian. And um, that's what really helped me. And I think, again, that further fueled the flame of like, I think I need to do this too. I think I need to tell the truth to other people and set them free of these food lies and, and misconceptions. Yeah, that's very traumatic as far as the experience goes. And like you said, too, I was going to even ask you, oh, were you, you know, cooking for yourself and making meal plans? But that seemed very restrictive of the things that you were, you know, quote, unquote, like allowing yourself to have at that time of your life. So when did you transition into having a better relationship with food? How long do you think it took you to get into that world where you were able to look at ingredients and make nourishing meals for yourself? 
It took a while, to be honest. That's why anytime someone with an eating disorder crosses my door, I'm always like, okay, where are you at in the process? Because if the motivation level is not there, unfortunately, it's just not going to progress, right? So for me, I had hit pretty much rock bottom at that point with with it being um I had it had morphed into also anorexia with bulimia and so the tipping point for me was I used to babysit my niece who was like two at the time then while my sister was in grad school and for me it was uh, one afternoon after like binging on literally her snacks and things I went in the bathroom and I went to throw up and then she she walked in on me and she saw me in the process and I just broke down and I was like I can't I can't do this anymore you know I don't want her seeing this now and so I I finally told my family and I got help and I I was just ready for the change I wasn't getting a period at that time for like over a year I knew I wanted a family eventually and so I was like I've got to make changes and, and that's how I found somebody and they really, it was like from the ground up, like learning about the macronutrients, right? And like why my brain needs fat, why it needs carbs. And it was very, very structured initially with, you know, she gave me the exchanges, like you need this many fats per day, this many proteins. And she was pretty tough, which was good because she would every week sort of threatened, like, if the weight doesn't go up, I'm, you're going to have to go to like an inpatient thing. I can't see you um, outpatient like this. So I just had that in the back of my mind. I was like, no, I'm not letting this go any further. It's stopping here. I'm going to make the changes. And it really does mentally mess with you, right? Because if you're not eating enough fat, you're not, you're, I always had brain fog. I couldn't remember things. And as I started to improve my eating, I got like that clarity again. And I was thinking straight and just better, I think, relationally too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing that story and also bringing into that discussion too, of having that fear of food. This is the one thing Mm -hmm. that I can control in my life where I regulate it, whether it's having not enough or too much of it, right? Either I'm binging on something or I'm controlling it in some other way with restriction and then allowing yourself to recognize that you had a problem, allowing someone else. This is another thing too, right? Angela, with being able to reach out and gain support. So not only did you kind of come clean and share your issue and your concerns with your family, but you also allowed yourself to get get some support from a healthcare provider. And that's where that repair of that relationship started happening, it sounds like. So I'm very, very happy that you came to that conclusion that it wasn't so far gone that you were ending up in some sort of inpatient treatment center where, you know, who knows what kind of experience you might've had there. So congratulations with being able to take control of it and allowing yourself to repair that relationship. Yeah. Thank you. And like I said, it's not an overnight process. So for anyone in the midst of it, it's, it's so important to have the support system and just be honest with yourself and know like it's going to take hard work to get there, but you can get there. Yeah. That's very, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. 
So walk me through then, now that you've kind of come to an understanding of the major that you've chosen, wanting to go into the field of dietetics, what moved you in that direction and how did you, I mean, we talked a little bit earlier about your internship, but what was the process like for you and what experiences kind of spoke to you? Because even in the last couple of years that you and I have known each other, I'm not sure if you had in mind like a very specific specialty, but it really feels like I've watched you flourish into something that now you are the specialist in. So can you share with us a little bit about how your own background, your own experiences, what the experience also of your schooling and the internship process, how that played a role in where you are today? Yeah, so fast forward, healing of the eating disorder, getting married, uh, still working in the legal industry, and I'm back in New York at this point. So I'm in my, I'm in, I just turned 30, essentially. And I, I really have to give credit to my husband, because he was my biggest cheerleader. Before we even got married, we'd be on dates, and I would, you know, he'd ask me, what is your dreams? And you know, you talk about your dreams. And it's this far away thing. And I'd always say, I want to go back to school. I want to become a nutritionist and have my own business and help other people. And I remember it was literally like the weekend after our wedding and we were entertaining some friends from London. And he, one of the friends asked like, oh, so what are you, you know, what are your plans? And my husband just cuts me off and he's like, my wife's going to go back to school and she's going to be a dietitian and start her own business. And I'm like, oh my gosh, way to like, put pressure on me like to get he it spoke done. it he spoke so, it out into the universe yeah and so he literally was so amazing he helped me find like the prereqs I had to do and he would drive me to like BMCC downtown every weekend for my like organic chem classes and like tutored me like no joke that's why I'm like support is so important like I wouldn't have done this alone like he he really really helped me so so much and I went from being like the worst college student like I look back on my undergrad and, I, and I'm like so mad at myself that I have student loans for essentially partying to like becoming an A plus student graduating from my graduate program like magna cum laude I was like in the honor society getting my top choice of internship so for me it was like I think I matured later in life and it took being in my 30s to get this done you know but yeah and I just so I just knew like I knew I wanted to start my own private practice I I didn't want to do the traditional hospital thing wasn't for me I hated that rotation to be honest it was way too rigid and structured I'm a very like flowy person I like to keep my own schedule so I just knew I, I had to be my own boss, essentially. Um, and so that's why, again, I loved working with you as a preceptor, because during our time, I wrote my whole business plan. I, I you know, I, I had the steps. So once I graduated the internship, passed the RD exam, I literally next day was like filing <laughs> for the business and stuff and like just making it happen. Yeah, hitting the ground running. I want to go back for a second, just because what you spoke about is some I, so I don't have children and I've always said if I did I I'm not sure how I would feel about kind of like having them follow the traditional path and forcing them for lack of a better phrase into higher education I might want them to take a gap year I might want to encourage them to go have some more life experiences because like you I also <laughs> I think I had like a two point 
three or something in my first undergrad. And I thought I knew what I wanted to do, but I really didn't. And then after graduating, I had about 17 different careers. I mean, I worked in everything from retail to emergency management to broadcast. And it was just such a wild ride. And of course, you know, I'm all full of like, let's just be grateful for the experiences that I have. I don't regret anything, but I really do wonder if had I had a little bit more space to really see what I wanted to do and then to go back to school as more of an adult learner, if I would have been on the same path I ended up at the second time around. So I think that speaks a lot, Angela, to like you said, having the student loans for partying, it was cracking me up because I, I, you know, listen, I had my fair share of fun times out there, but it was really a feeling of forcing myself to fit into that mold of a college student at age 19 versus voluntarily walking in. And for my, in my case, I was in my forties by the time I went back to school, but I felt really sure of who I was and what I wanted to do. And just like you, I had the accolades. I was very ingrained in campus life. Did you go back full-time by the way, when you first went back to BMCC? So the prereqs, no, I was doing them while still working full-time, but then once I got into the master's program, it was full-time. So right. then I transitioned part-time in my legal industry job. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. And I'm asking that because obviously there is some privilege and luxury to be able to say, like, I can just go and do this full-time, which is exactly what I did. I pretty much borrowed slash just took all the money from everybody I knew. And I was like, please send me to school. Cause I don't know if I can physically and mentally do this again at this age while also working. And then it's going to probably take me 10 times as long to finish everything. And I knew going in as a second degree undergrad and coming out the other end with the master of science, having started with a BA in the earlier part of my life, <clears throat> excuse me. And then also going into the internship that could have been like 20 years from start to finish. And I just right. did not feel like I had the time to do that. So I was very grateful that I was able to go in as a full timer and in doing so, Angela, like I had a lot of fun. Like I had fun being part of the campus leadership and getting involved in the clubs. I didn't ever do that in my first time around with my undergrad. I only spent one year as a an on-campus student. And then because of too much partying and things, I kind of had to get pulled out of that campus. And I went and I did part-time the rest of the time that I had my undergrad. So I was working while I was going to school. And as a teenager, it was really weird because I was going to school with the adult learners in my undergrad. And so now flashing forward, you know, when I went back to school for the second time around, I was the adult learner, but I was acting as a, a teenager <laughs> undergrad in that way. So I really enjoyed the experience. So I love that. First of all, you mentioned the thing about your husband and the support system. That is huge. It's, it's a huge thing to have, as you said before, earlier too, with your family and the registered dietitian in your world. They're helping you with, um, with your own personal and um, physical needs that then flashing forward, the fact that your husband was so invested and really had supported you, but also believed in you. I think that's something too, right? A lot of times we hear things, especially if we're like, you know, going to rip the bandaid off and I want to go and travel and do something else, or I want to go into this career because I'm not happy where I am. We often hear things like negative. Oh, be careful. Don't leave your job before you have a new one. Are you sure at your age, you want to go back and do that? And here you had somebody in your in your circle, in your very close circle, supporting you in almost like it's going to happen. So it's not even a question. This is what she was meant to do. So I really love that because so many people are sometimes afraid to take that step. And I always feel like if you don't, you're going to regret it. 
Yeah, no, I agree completely. And that's why I always try with friends or any, to just do the same. And I always just like almost call my husband. I'm like, you're sort of my faith because I would always have like a negative thing. And he'd be like, no, you passed that exam or no, you're already, that already happened. And he was just so encouraging. And to also, like you said, I think it is a privilege financially where grad school was essentially debt-free this time around my part-time job funded the grad school. And then obviously my husband's salary kind of carried us through just living. So, I mean, that, that was such a huge privilege. I wouldn't have been able just to do it if on my own financially, I would have had to take out more loans and I definitely didn't want to do that again. You're right. You're right. So there is something to say with, you know, if you are, if anybody who's listening to this, if you're feeling very inspired to take that, that launch and that break and move forward into some other direction. Yes. You know, try to make sure that you have some sort of safety net support ability to fund that next transition of whatever it is that you're doing or people that could potentially financially help you. I mean, I'm paying back some people and some other people were like, don't worry about it. This is an investment in your future, which I was really, really very fortunate for. So Angela, bring us to a little bit more now of your current state of affairs. What is going on in a typical week of you now that you've established your business and tell us a little bit about the specialties that you're working in, how that's kind of shaped where you're going in the future as well. Yeah. So I, yeah, so I wrapped up the internship, uh, spring, 2021 passed the RD exam, May, 2021. The business was officially formed in the state of New York, September, 2021. And I started seeing clients or patients uh, that fall. So that's how quickly everything progressed. So I've been running the practice full time for yeah, over a year now, we were just doing the taxes actually for last year. So it was amazing just to see from those short months, the September to December 21 to last year, I'm like, Oh, my goodness, this is so amazing how it's grown. I mainly just do uh, telehealth. So it's all virtual right now from from my home and it's I love it because I do have a three-year-old so I usually see patients from the time I drop them off so from like nine to two then I break and then again at five o'clock I start back up again and I see people in the evening so I love the flexibility right now I I know it's funny you know you hear the niche thing right or niche thing with a lot of these like mastermind people and they're all like niche down, niche down. But I'm like, you know what? I'm insurance based. So I, I do not niche down. I take anyone. I try anything. For me, I do have a specific population that I love and I try to work more with. But at this point, I really love serving anyone. So I do get a lot of general weight loss people my approach is more of like the mindfulness. I try to, I, I don't do meal plans. We work on lifestyle changes, things of that nature. I get a lot of like parents with kids who are maybe like picky eaters. And I love that. And we have a lot of fun. I get a lot of like prenatal. So people who are either pregnant or trying to get pregnant, um, and so I really do love the variety right now. It definitely brings challenges where I'm having to research maybe more than others for other people on different things, but I'm learning a lot and growing so much. 
Um, so yeah, it's, it's becoming more of a full-time thing where I would say right now I'm averaging in the teens per week with my patient load. And my goal is to try to get it up to 20 plus people a week. And then it will really help me hit some of the financial goals that I have set for myself for the year. That is amazing. And I want to go back to what you just said to, to validate that. So yeah, the niching down the specialty fields and what I'm talking about also with specialty stuff. So for anyone out there, regardless of what profession you're in, if you can become an expert in what you do, then you're the go-to person for that. In the case of dietetics and healthcare, you know, we can take on more of a general practice. And what Angela's saying too really resonates with me as well, because I don't want to say no to anybody, but I will say there are certain things that I don't feel comfortable or as well versed on that I know I might be doing a little bit more harm than good. And so I'm I'm thinking in my mind too, Angela, you can correct me if I'm wrong with on your end, if there's anybody that you might have to turn away or refer to. Gastrointestinal issues are really complex and challenging. So I will maybe meet with somebody for a couple of sessions to kind of educate them of what they might need to know or ask other people about, get a little bit of feedback as to where their issues are. And then I might end up giving them off to a GI specialty RD and make sure that they are going to get like an endoscopy or, you know, making sure that they're going to get testing just in case it's something other than stress related or if it has actually, you know, a bacterial infection. So there's so much that can go on there. Um, also renal and liver stuff kind of freaks me out a little bit. I hate to say, even though those are very clinical conditions that we are trained to deal with, I also sometimes will turn people away or, you know, not when I'm saying that I'm saying like, I refer them to a specialty RD or somebody else in my field or in my neighborhood or someone else who takes insurance in that same way that I feel like a little bit more comfortable with, because those two are a little tricky with all of the complications and the stages and so on. Is there anything that you won't do? Cause this sounds a lot, like you said, general stuff, but it also is almost like family oriented too, where you're having the picky eaters. I don't, I don't tend to work with children. So that's another kind of population that I tend to give away or refer out to. So are, are there any things that you might feel a little bit less comfortable with working with, or is it just like you said, you take everybody and anybody? Yeah, I agree with you with the GI stuff for sure. If it's like pretty basic, I'll, I'll take them. But like you said, if it gets complex, I'll refer because GI is like a great mystery. A lot of it, even the GI doctors don't know what's going on. So that stuff is a little tricky. And then honestly, some of the weight loss people, I, it just doesn't work because a lot of them, they're so fixated on the scale. And then it feels like so much pressure. Like they're blaming me if they're not consistently every week, like, oh, this week I only lost half a pound. And I'm, and I always try to just set the expectation of like, that's realistic though. Like half a pound to a pound per week. That's a nice you know, long lasting uh, way to do it. But you get these people who they want to do like the calorie counting and get me just tell me what to eat. And I don't, to me, we clash a little bit then because that's just not my personal philosophy. So those people then sometimes will just have to have a conversation of like, maybe this isn't a good fit. Um, I, I it just because you don't see the progress really and they just kind of get obsessed with the scale a little too much so that yes. population I'm always like oh, I don't know about this I agree with you in that sense that clinically speaking if we understand the particular medical condition but 
weight focus, weight central discussions are a little bit trickier because it could or could not be sustainable. It could or cannot be guaranteed. Mm -hmm. And behind the scenes too, what we kind of started with all of this, it's a mental health slash behavioral situation that we might not really know the full story and or also allowing the patient or the client to divulge and disclose what they feel most comfortable with. So if they're set, like you said, on a particular number, and we as the healthcare provider, the practitioner, the person who's helping them, we're not guaranteeing what they deem as success, that's never going to work. And so, you know, let's talk a little bit about that too, because in our training, you know, we ha we happen to say a lot of times when it comes to doctors, we don't love that doctors will talk about nutrition because they're not well-trained in nutrition and we don't want them giving blanket statements or making anybody feel less than or feel shameful for their choices. And, you know, sometimes they don't give the right information. I mean, I have tons of examples from the times that I have worked with doctors where when the patient comes to me, I'm like, oh my gosh, give me, give me the phone. I'm calling your doctor right now because that's incorrect. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about on our end as dietitians and going through our schooling, it was, and it still kind of is textbook related where it is very clinically focused as if we were going in that direction and you and I both agreed and come came to the decision that we didn't want to work in hospitals so we're not necessarily working with you know calorie sustaining formulas for tube feeding and that sort of thing so I think for us we are now kind of forcing ourselves to be the behavioral counselors and we don't really get a ton of training in our schooling of that. We get maybe a semester, maybe a class. Can you talk a little bit about that too? Like how comfortable are you? Is there anything else resources wise that you've felt you needed to learn to chip away at the behavioral thing since, or, or what did your classes entail that allowed you to feel more comfortable with working with people and focusing more on that mindful eating behavior versus, okay, track your calories and weigh yourself every week. Yeah, I completely agree in terms of education. I wish the um, dietetics programs were more rigorous with that side of things versus the clinical, because I feel like so many dietitians are going more of these different routes or wanting to do more private practice, counseling. And so I wish, yeah, I mean, I remember I only got one semester of like a counseling thing and that was it. So I completely agree. There's not enough training in the, in the, um, when you're in as a student, right? So for me, yeah. And then coming on the other side of it, I would say almost 90% of the session it's behavioral. Like it's not just this black and white, like here's a calorie range. Here's a couple of food ideas, like good luck to you. No, it's always, always somebody saying, oh, I really struggle with the relationship with food. I, I really can't eat this entire food group or I comfort eat, I emotional. It's always something deeper, right? So I personally, again, I have to just train myself. I do a lot of like free sort of training courses on the motivational interviewing techniques. I've listened to podcasts about it. I research. I've gotten a couple of workbooks that I use in session with clients on mindful eating, which is a lot of fun to make it more interactive. I share my screen a lot and we'll visually look at like a hunger and fullness scale or we'll do a little exercise on emotional eating and like five things you can try before eating food, right? So I try to make it interactive. However, when it goes any deeper, like if they start saying there's anxieties there or there's other things going on, I will say I have to sort of stay in my lane, right? 
And that's where then I would have to say, hey, I think you should maybe consider a therapist talking to someone a little bit deeper about what's going on here. Because I really only, I can only stick to the food domain essentially. Because I've had, believe it or not, I've had recently a therapist kind of cross the line. And I'm seeing someone, she sees me and then sees a therapist. And her therapist told her that she needs to cut back her calories and eat 1200 calories per day. And I got, I got really mad actually. And I was like, who is this therapist to tell somebody, a grown woman to eat 1200 calories per day? Like that's literally what a toddler eats in a day. Like that's totally crossing the line in my opinion. So there is like that fine line for sure, because it does get really deeper beyond the food most of the time with people. Yeah, and I'm so glad you're bringing this up too. So for anybody listening, also this is a this is a chance for you as the patient to feel advocated, f- to feel empowered, I should say, to advocate for requesting a referral or asking for a specialist. Because you're right, Angela, that's not cool. And 1200, not a lot of people know that. A lot of I think you mentioned earlier too with women, you know, we go through this whole life of chronic dieting and being told to constantly restrict our calories. And you just said, um, uh, no pun intended, a mouthful there where 1200 calories is like what a four-year-old eats. And so right. we don't realize that when we're putting ourselves on these restrictive diets for whatever reason, other than, um, again, I should say, focusing on the weight management or weight, that's not a sustainable thing. Your body requires at very baseline, a certain amount of calories just to keep you breathing and having that heartbeat. And like you mentioned earlier, hormonal health, reproductive health, et cetera. And so when we're going below that number, you're really doing a disservice. And odds are, I think a lot of, and you might agree with this, I think a lot of people that come to us who have had a history of chronic dieting are not eating enough at all. As a matter of fact, when you visualize the amount of food that should be eaten in somebody's day, when you kind of look at the food groups and the amount, like you mentioned, with healthy fats, et cetera, it's almost scary to look at how much food that is in comparison to what some people are actually eating because it looks like I could never eat that much. That's way too much food. But it's like, that's what you're supposed to eat. Like you're supposed to be nourishing yourself and getting those calories in. And the crossing of the line there too. So again, you know, having the patients understand that just because a healthcare professional is speaking to you, as Angela mentioned, with the stay in your lane type of discussion, you know, what are they qualified in? If And I'm so glad you said that too, Angela, With for us as well, if we get to a point where we can kind of critically assess, this seems a little bit more than just having a discussion about healthful habits. This seems more like a mental health issue. Then yeah, please let's make sure we're outreaching to what we call that interdisciplinary team, whether it's working with a pediatrician or a behavioral therapist or an oncologist, you know, there's only so much that a dietitian can do as well. So even though we're all for promoting the value of a dietitian, even we might need to refer out to specialty dietitians or to other specialists. So thank you for bringing that up to Angela. Yeah, I completely agree with that, that, you know, I would say majority of the people that come through my door, the number one reason they're not losing weight, if that's their main goal, is they're not eating enough calories. And then, yeah, we'll do like a little exercise where I'll plug in the stuff just so they can see, like, this is literally for you to just breathe how many calories you need. And it's usually way more than 1200 calories. So that's always like a fun eye opening thing for people to see. Absolutely. I want to go back for a second with the picky eating discussion, because you and I have had a lot of other 
experiences together where we've done Instagram lives and takeovers and other conversations that we've had where we've spoken about children's eating behaviors and dealing with challenges like that. And I actually utilize you and your story in my life cycle because I teach, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, I teach a variety of undergrad and graduate courses. One of the classes that I've taught for the last four and a half years is life cycle nutrition where children have the innate ability to regulate their intake and it's the care provider's responsibility to just give the food and it's the child's responsibility to determine how much is going to be taken in like there's no need to force your kid or go through these negotiation tactics of like eat this and then you can go play with your friends and I remember you saying to me that when your child was in those stages of having complimentary foods being brought into his diet that you were actually documenting everything from like herbs and spices to fish to you know everything that you eat it as adult you were just providing to him to experiment with so can you share a little bit about having a toddler of your own having a child of your own and being feeling that freedom and feeling sometimes maybe what might have been also challenging and how that has played a role in you being able to also be able to share that information with anybody that comes to you with that same kind of challenge with the piggy eating yeah, so during my graduate studies, a main focal point of any papers, presentations, anything I had to do was always around sort of like maternal uh, life cycle through like pregnancy, infancy into this toddlerhood group. So I thankfully learned so much during that time. And so once I had my son, I knew already like the first two years of life are sort of this window of opportunity where they're so open, they'll try anything. Like you could see a baby eating like curry or the spicy food and be like, what? But they're just so open, right? So it's the best time to just play around textures and herbs and spices and everything, right? So, but with knowing that come around age two, they're going to definitely like funnel that down. And so maybe they go from eating like a hundred foods to like 20 foods and it could be even less to like five foods. So just having that expectation as a parent or caregiver and not freaking out. Right. Because a lot of parents will come to me freaking out and being like, I think my child is deficient and they don't eat anything. They only eat carbs. And it's, and then it's just explaining like, this is normal this is what happens to all toddlers. Like, it's okay. The best thing as a parent is to just not freak out and be cool about it. Because if we make every mealtime this stressful thing where you're like literally staring at them, like, are you going to eat it? Do you like it? They're not going to try it. Like, just be cool. Eat dinner together. Put different foods on their plate. Don't give them like a huge portion little tiny like a, literally like a tablespoon give them a piece of chicken whatever the new food is put a favorite food on the plate I will say if you're offering dessert put it on the same plate with the meal so it's all on the same level playing field there's no like after dinner you get the dessert um and that's really helped my son to self-regulate so it's amazing when you see them because they don't just eat the cookie. Like he'll bite the cookie, then I'll take a piece of carrot, then he'll try. And some days are better than others too, right? But that's how us adults are. Some days I don't want to eat a salad. I just want a sandwich. They're the same way. So I would say just focus on 
nutrition over the course of the week in that age group, not meal over meal, because you're going to get stressed and be like, they didn't eat a vegetable at lunch. Oh my gosh. It's like, no, it's okay. Like, (laughs) you know, and they have growth spurts and then they have times where the appetite decreases. And again, just being cool about it and not like obsessing, make the meal times fun for them engage them talk about how their day was don't just make it about the food I am getting chills right now as you're saying that because it's it's so eye-opening to see the difference and a lot of my past guests have also shared with me and, and myself included we were held hostage at our dinner tables we did have that negotiation factor we were given portions that were far beyond what a six-year-old could possibly eat in the time span of dinner. And we were also taught to fear things and then accept things. So I love what you're saying about allowing space, no matter how much internally as a parent, you're probably like, oh my gosh, what's going on? They're starving themselves. No, your child is being flexible in experimenting what's working and what's not working. And for you to be able to have a piece of cookie on the same plate as broccoli is really, like you said, it's leveling that playing field. There is no status that's provided that this is better than this, or this is used as what we say, those reward systems. Like you ate your, you know, you're a big boy, eat your fruits and vegetables, grow big and strong, and then you can treat yourself to a cookie or you're not allowed to have whatever you deem as a reward unless you do all of these other things that could potentially then be determined as less than oh so this is the bad stuff I do the bad stuff before I can get the good stuff so I love how you phrase that Angela and hopefully that also resonates with anybody who's listening to this and going through that but also reflecting on their own past childhood experiences of it's not your fault if your family didn't know better of how to have that relationship happen at the time that you were all eating together or how they fed you or whatever you had access to this is why probably some of your relationships specifically with food maybe with other things too are a little bit messed up in that sense so now might be a good time to kind of forgive that and let that go and re-enter a new establish a new relationship with how you might be able to deem food as not anything better or less than and to to recognize there is nourishing factors and there's also celebratory factors like you can eat food that is healthy and nourishing and you can also celebrate with foods that might be a little bit more indulgent and that's okay Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. Because I, again, I get a lot of people coming in who are like, I was raised, you just eat everything on your plate. And so now as adults, they're not able to self-regulate. They're not able to even recognize when they feel full. So again, I think just being really cool about it, knowing like your kids, they're going to get nourished. I mean, I was even joking during the holidays because my son literally, there's all this amazing food. And the only thing he ate was the homemade bread. So I'm like, you know what, it, that's fine. You know what, it's one day, it's a holiday, it's hectic, there's a lot of people. If he just wants the bread, okay, at least we'll put some butter on it, there's some fat on it, fine. You know, and then tomorrow's a new day. Um, but like I said, I think just giving them the opportunity as much as possible to try new foods as well. Don't just assume they're not going to try it. Keep trying it. It can take a kid up to 10, 15, 20 times to finally try a food. But as long as there's no pressure there, eventually maybe they'll try it, right? And what you can do is model, right? So you can be eating these same things. You can be modeling, eating consistent meals throughout the day, having snacks and even having desserts. So they're looking to you for that guidance. So you be the model and just show them 
how to do it and maybe it'll pique their interest. Yeah, all foods fit. There's a freedom in that and that will hopefully trickle down. Angela, you have provided us with so much information. I mean, I really feel like this whole conversation spanned so much more than I actually thought it was going to, but we haven't gotten a chance to talk about some of your current pursuits. Will you share with us a little bit about the things that you're working on, like your book and any other things that you kind of seeing coming down the line? Because as I mentioned before, at the time of this recording, we are at the beginning of the new year, but I know you have some things in the hopper for some future dates. Tell us a little bit about what you're working on. Yeah. So last year, about a year ago, I started writing a book and it started out as just something I thought I could use as a lead magnet and just put it on my website. But then I, I started thinking more about it. I was like, no, this, I think this could be something bigger. So I decided to make it into a full ebook, um, worked with a graphic designer. I even had like a brand really guide me and support me in writing this ebook and giving their feedback. And it sort of also morphed into um, the main ebook. And now there's a separate like pullout with it. So the topic of the book is on pregnancy nutrition. I was uh, my second year of grad school, I was pregnant with my son. And so I took a really deep interest in prenatal nutrition. And I, I just had a ton of research and notes and things that I was constantly sharing with friends who were trying to get pregnant. And so I was like, you know what, let me put this in a book. And the concept was quick, easy guide, because I'm thinking of myself, I'm busy, I'm a working mom, I don't have time to read like textbooks and Google things. So it's like a really quick, concise guide to pregnancy nutrition, it covers the macronutrients, the trimester needs, there's even a section on mindful eating, um, there's recipes, there's all the supplement information. So that's available on Amazon. And with that, the brand that I partnered with, we made a separate pullout of the book for plant-based moms. So if you are vegan or you're trying to follow a plant-based diet while pregnant, a lot of experts will say, oh no, like you can't do that. Um, which to me feels a little exclusive, right? Like what if you really are passionate and there's a, a valid reason why you want to stay plant-based? So we are just trying to be more inclusive and being like, you know what, our job, my job as an RD isn't to lecture you on why you shouldn't be plant-based. It's to just support you on the journey and make sure you're getting as nourished as possible while pregnant. So with that, we have the pullout and then probably around March, we just got approved through the CDR for um, a webinar that will supplement that. So a plant-based pregnancy webinar that will be targeted towards other RDs and how they can educate any plant-based mamas during their pregnancy. So I'm thinking it's probably going to be like end of March that we do that webinar and that'll be welcome to any RDs or DTRs or dietetic interns. That is fascinating. And once again, just to see how far you've come in such a short amount of time and being able to offer this to such a wide audience and then also a particular population who might be a little bit confused about what to do and then also integrate that into sharing guidance for the profession too, to be able to support that. Because as dietitians, you know, we are obviously working on a client patient relationship, but just like Angela and I started out discussing, we also have, I think the 
ability and maybe even the benefit for uh, to be able to give back to the profession, whether it is overseeing an intern in their internship program, whether it's taking on somebody as a mentor or providing work groups and workshops and seminars and things like this to be able to help just educate somebody. Because honestly, as dietitians, we still have to maintain a certain amount of continuing education credits anyway, every five years. So why not do this where you're supporting and promoting from within the practice, from within the profession as well? I love that, Angela. Congratulations on that. Thanks. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Just like I said, I, I feel like when you're a business owner, you just have to be innovative, keep doing different things and not just having like one stream, you kind of have to have multiple things going on. So that's what I try to keep doing. Yeah. And so that brings me to as we're wrapping up our conversation for today, is there anything that we did not touch upon any words of wisdom, things that you might want to leave with our listeners that we didn't integrate into this conversation already? I mean, I would just encourage you if you are interested in the field or you were like, yeah, like me, you have the desire, but you're scared to do it. I would say just start taking those baby steps to pursue it. And yeah, I'm, I'm happy, you know, to be a resource. So if you do have additional questions or anything like that, I'm happy to um, speak with any of you further. I love that. And of course, I will be linking to your website and your Instagram page and whatever other social media platforms you have on your uh, sites there just to make sure people know where to find you when we're done discussing this. So that brings me to my last two questions at every podcast. And I always inquire a two part question, I should say, what is on your plate today, Angela, at the time of this recording, we're in the early part of the day. So what are you working on once we kind of hang up and disconnect with each other? And then what is literally on your plate what is the next meal that you might be making or eating for yourself oh so yeah once we hang up I'm gonna keep working on my social media posts for February I try to work ahead in Canva and then I have a couple of clients this afternoon and evening so just prepping for their sessions and then my next meal this will be lunch so I have um, I try to meal prep a little bit for myself. So I have like some salad leftover from yesterday, like a big salad and some tortilla chips. So that'll probably be what I'm having while I work on my social media posts. I'm very, uh, very proud of you. That's to say the least. And I'm also really inspired by you because I have been cobbling together a business plan for myself for what feels like six years in a row now. And it does tend to change a little bit. One of my biggest goals is to get ahead of schedule with stuff, especially with the social media posts, because that really does help with saving a lot of time. So I'm still, I'm still getting there, Angela. So good for you for being able to have that on your schedule of getting ahead and planning ahead. Cause it really does take the stress off of things to come up with. And what should I talk about and engage the audience, et cetera. I love it. So Angela, thank you so much again for spending time with me today and for sharing so much. And also just personally, you know, to catch up with you, this was really nice to see how far you've come and a lot of the things that you have in the hopper. I've always been a fan of yours from the moment I met. And I do think that you are the gift that keeps on giving because not only do I feel very grateful to have been played a small role in the first part of your career. But now I'm looking to you to also help motivate me with, you know, things that I want to work on. And if, if she can do it, I feel like I can do it too. Oh yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. And it's always fun to 
look back on the journey, right? And see where you've come from and where you are now. And so, yeah, thank you for being part of my journey. Thank you so much for joining me this week on the Dish with Dina podcast. I am Dina D'Alessandro, registered dietitian, nutritionist, founder, and chief executive life changer at Dish with Dina. And I'm also your host. If you like what you heard, I would be so grateful if you could subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and share this with others who you think might benefit from what we have to offer on these episodes. You can also join my mailing list at dishwithdina.com or email me at info at dishwithdina.com with questions, comments, feedback, and if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode because everybody eats and we all have a story to share. I hope you tune back in next week when we dish again. Dish again.